Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast. It's Tuesday, May 31st. I'm Blair Kirkhoff, and I hope you had a terrific Memorial Day weekend. We're talking Royals today and continuing a theme we've been discussing for a few weeks with beat writer Lynn Worthy and columnists Sam McDowell and Vahe Gregorian, and that's when does the future become the present for the Royals? The season hasn't reached its third month, and it's looking more and more like it's time to think about next year. So what does that look like? We discuss it today on a show that started as a Sports Beat Live. Let's get started. Hey, good morning and welcome to Sports Beat Live, our weekly conversation about the Kansas City Royals. We come uh, to you from uh, a Stephen King novel uh, this morning here. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it's like in your backyard, but uh, pretty wet in, in mine. Uh, flooding rains are hitting Kansas City right now, and um, uh, and things are looking dreary outside. And speaking of dreary, we'll talk about the Royals here in just a moment. But uh, want to first shout out to our sponsor, the University of Kansas Health System, and you'll hear from them later in the show. Listen. Um, we we uh, we really enjoy doing this. Love talking Royals, but we even uh, like it more when we can talk Royals with you. So send us your questions and comments, and we will address those on this show. There's a lot to talk about with the Royals. A lot to a lot of questions about the Royals. Um, so ask them, and we will answer them. So we got Vahe Gregorian, Lynn Worthy, and Sam McDowell. The the usual lineup here. Uh, good morning, guys, and let's just jump right into it. And we'll start by uh, I guess if any. Uh, you know, if, if any of the uh, shows are, um, you know, we, we, we have a kind of a theme, or the last few weeks anyway, we've been going with a theme, when does the future begin for the Royals? And um, and I think just reading stories from from uh, all you guys here in the last few days, the, the sense is growing that uh, the future is going to begin pretty soon with, with the Royals. Let's, Lynn, let's just go to your story uh, of the other day where you talked to J.J. Piccolo and, uh, and and asked him specifically about uh, Vinny Pasquantini and um, uh, Pasquantino and then um, uh, uh, J., uh, um, Nick Prado. What, what did he what, what did J.J. tell you and uh, what was your sense of when we might see a couple of minor league sluggers join the big club? Well, I think your your epic sigh there sort of uh, forecast um, what what it was that JJ said. <laughs> it wasn't quite as epic as some of the past ones, but it was it was there. It was there. We can get um, a greatest hits going on these sighs. I think we get a collection of them. Uh, but so, um, and I know there was a lot of, um, or I shouldn't say a lot. It seemed like there was a lot of uh, feedback on the Twitter sphere about JJ's comments, but um, to me, it really wasn't all that controversial. I mean, the upshot was, um, and the way I framed it was that, um, you know, basically the offense right now in the major league level has been doing better as of late. And the better that does, it's probably more likely that they'll be willing to integrate two young players with no major league experience into that lineup because um, they would prefer not to have them come up and feel as though they had to carry the offense. And um, I think some people looked at it and says, well, wait a minute, as far as so with them not doing or with them doing well, that's when you're more likely to see these guys. It doesn't make any sense. And um, but if you think of it as, well, you don't want these guys coming up and carrying an offense. You, want, you don't want them to come up and feel like they have to be the saviors because they're 
have zero major league experience. It really isn't that controversial. Um, he also had the context of Bobby Witt Jr. saying that he thought early in the season, you know, Bobby batting high in the lineup, the offense was struggling. That probably added to him and his feeling to have to do more and try and pre- press when he's still just getting his feet wet in the major leagues. Um, another element that he mentioned, and I think Sam touched on this in his column last week, was just the fact that you, know, you haven't seen that much, particularly of Vinny, at the higher levels of the minors. Last year, he started the season at high A, and then he, he went to double A, and this year, with just a little bit of time at double A, he went to triple A, and I think he the specific numbers we were, he mentioned at the time we were talking, which was before Sunday's game, was that you're talking about Vinny Pasquantino having about 500 at-bats, or no, not even 500 at-bats, I think it was 350 at-bats at double A and triple A combined, um, when really you want that number ideally to be closer to 500, 550. Um, and then on top of that, he also, you know, sort of low key mentioned, you know, Hunter Dozier probably playing more first base, which, you know, he didn't say this, but if you sort of, you know, extrapolate out, that's him playing first base, Santana probably not playing as much first base. And we've already talked about and written about MJ Melendez probably having to get some time at DH and right field. Um, and there's guys that are going to be getting healthy at some point. So that's probably, like I say, you extrapolate it out. This isn't what he said, but you're probably saying fewer or less playing time for Santana and Dozier playing first base. So that doesn't necessarily mean that there's, you know, a spot to put these guys at where they're going to play every day. So I didn't think it was all that controversial, but I know Twitter disagreed vehemently. As Twitter can do. Pick it up, Sam. Where um, uh, you had a column last weekend, uh, ran in print last weekend, but posted last week. What um, what's your sense of the future happening now for for the Royals? Or is this a time for what do you tell what do you tell the fans uh, if you're the Royals about uh, about this team this season and, and where things are going? Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand the frustration of this. I mean, there's not a lot <clears throat> when you look at the big league team that gets you juiced about watching a Royals game or going to the park, and you feel like maybe those two guys are it. Um, I, I don't see a huge difference in whether or not Vinny Pascantino is playing on June 1st or if he's playing on June 14th or July 1st. Because, to me, they're not competing this season. You know, they have the worst record in baseball on May 31st, and I think any illusions that they're going to be in a playoff hunt in August is, is just foolish. And so, to me, your question on, on these guys comes down to, do I want to have the best possible environment for Vinny Pascantino to arrive in the major leagues, or do I want to have my best possible chance of winning a baseball game on June 1st? Because I think those two questions give you different answers. And so their scouts have said that they don't think these guys are ready. And that was also something I wrote, something Lynn wrote, that I felt like got taken slightly out of context because we also both wrote they think these guys are close. It's not, you know, it's not on the, on the, on the spectrum, it's not zero to 100. You know, they're, they're getting closer to that line. So um, I think we're still going to see, especially, I, I think Vinny is closer and the organization feels that he's closer um, they have very specific things with each one of them that they would like to see in the minor leagues, just to explain it from the organizational standpoint. Nick Prado strikes out too much. He strikes out 38% of his plate appearances in the minor league, or is it bats in the minor leagues? That's a really high number that typically goes up once you get to the big leagues. 
they'd like to see that number lower before he arrives in the big leagues. I think that's a completely reasonable argument with Nick Prado. Vinny Pascantino, I think his numbers showed that he's figured something out that I think will translate to the major leagues, even if it doesn't translate at the same rate at which he's hitting now. There is a particular pitch that they'd like to see him stop swinging at. Um, and I understand their unwillingness to, to give away that exact nature because that gives away his scouting report at the major leagues. But I think that's something that could be worked on at the major leagues. And if I, I think right now he's your best option to play first base at the major leagues is Benny Pascantino. So I, I understand the frustration. Um, but again, I think that comes back to do you feel like what's your goal right now is to win June 1st or to create the best possible environment for these guys to develop? Because like I said, that might give you a different answer. Um, is the best possible environment, though, getting getting looks at major league pitching earlier rather than later? Um, yes, I, I think so. I think, you know, they, they should learn from the last time they went through this rebuild process. You know, Mike Moustakas had to get sent back down to the minor leagues in 2014. Um, Eric Hosmer struggled, uh, you know, not immediately, but he did have struggle. Basically, the only guy – um, and, and that core group of hitters that did not struggle was Salvi. And so, you know, when, when you take those lessons, you'd like to see that those struggles happen now. And because if, if we do think that this team's not going to compete, and like I said, I think you'd be foolish to think this team is going to compete. You want this team competing at least by next year. We all thought they should be competing by this year. We've covered that ground. But you've got to set this team up for the best case scenario next year. And that includes getting these guys, if they're going to struggle, to have them more accustomed to it now. I just think when they keep talking about the biggest, the gap is as large as it's ever been, they say, between AAA and the major leagues. And listen, it's hard for us to judge that. We have to trust their judgment on that. If the gap is as large as it's ever been, let's start the learning process. Let's, let's have them learn how big that gap is now. Well, one of those, uh, obviously, the one of the holdups is Carlos Santana at first base, and his you know, in the second year of his two-year deal, worth a uh, little ten and a half million or so this year. Um, Vahe, is there with their from from a Royals front office perspective, is there a reluctance to you know to to part ways with with Carlos Santana? What, what does Mike Matheny think about all this? You know, it, it's, it's a great question, and it, I think it's, in a way, the crux of the question um, because it's he sort of represents that uh, stay-the-course mentality uh, while you wait for the younger people, but he's, he's not producing. And I think it, it, it symbolically really does um, create the question right there, right there with Carlos Santana about what that's doing to – to this pipeline. Um, if we're at least of the same mind, I think we certainly we are on this call that that at least sooner than later with these these guys like Vinny and, and Prado, if possible, prime the pump, get them up here, uh, you know, throw them in the water, make them swim, then that that change has to happen pretty soon. And I think it's pretty hard right now to see um, what what place he really holds in this. And, and they've got enough clutter in some ways trying to resolve that. Even as you look at things like what to do with where's Hunter Dozier going to be, who's going to DH, who's going to be in right field, all these sorts of things that these guys, I think 
would would further um, not complicate, but make make you have to learn where you're going to diversify and how you're going to play that. So I I just I'm not sure I see the defense of Carlos Santana in, 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 as part of this anymore. And Lynn, you might be able to and Sam, you too, of course, you might be able to speak better to that than I am. But I think right now it, it's kind of mean to put it this way, but he's kind of just in the way. Yeah, I don't I don't think the Royals necessarily view him from the outside looking at it absolutely looks like Carlos Santana's blocking these guys. Um, I don't think that the Royals view that as much as probably it, it seems like it is because they're playing him every day. I think when they deem that Vinny Pascantino and, and Nick Prado are ready, that they'll play. Um, now, I, like I said, I, I know that's difficult to hear because Carlos Santana is the guy who's, who's playing right now. Um, you know, I was I just, I guess, kind of a side note, kind of on topic. I was looking up some stats today. There are actually eight major league teams that are getting worse production out of their first baseman than the Royals are as a whole this year, which really surprised me. I kind of anticipated that the Royals might be dead last in the production they're getting out of first base because uh, Santana is as bad offensively as, as we've seen. Um, but I guess, he, you know, his defense plays into that. He still plays good defense. He still gets on base. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be a much greater concern if the Royals were deeming that Pascantino uh, or Prado, and I keep saying Pascantino because he's he's ahead in this race. Um, but if they had deemed he was ready, but oh my, but wait a minute, we've got Carlos Santana playing first base. Um, and like I said, I understand the frustration with that because that 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 is how it looks from the outside, just from people I've talked to. They don't think that Pascantino is ready for the reasons I mentioned earlier. And I do think they think he's really close and that we're talking days, not weeks, not months before we see him play. Well, I think JJ was pretty clear that, I mean, he said flat out that, you know, they're not there yet. He said they're getting close to not there yet, which again, like Sam said, they, they basically, the, their evaluation is that he's, he's done outstanding, but he's not ready yet. And so, now, when he is ready, is Carlos Santana going to be the reason they don't bring him up? No, I don't think so. Um, I think right now he's, I mean, he's obviously he's playing. But we also factoring in, I mean, like he's playing first base. Sometimes he's getting some time at DH. And I think people just look at the roster and say, okay. And, I mean, I'm not, I don't think it's any secrets. The guys that they're pointing to every day is Santana and O'Hearn. Well, you can sort of take O'Hearn out of the equation because he's not necessarily getting every day at bats. He's getting more at bats than everybody would like just because they don't want to get any bit at bats. The people on Twitter are obviously pretty clear about that. But he's not getting you know necessarily every day at bats um, over the course of this entire season. Santana has been getting regular at bats. But again, I think also we're talking about a period right now where you have guys out um, and, you know, and we're, we're pretty sure MJ Melendez has probably got himself a spot that he's staying. I don't think he's going back when Cam Gallagher comes back. That was the other, the other story I wrote the other day was it sounds like they're probably looking at keeping three catchers and MJ is going to bounce around and they're going to keep his bat in the lineup. Well, right now we just saw Kyle Isbell come back yesterday. Wasn't even in the lineup at some point here, Michael Taylor comes back. So you're, you're running out of spots for the guys that you do have and the guys that you probably do want to see or who, guys who have earned time. And I'm not necessarily talking about Carlos Santana in that. Like I mentioned, Hunter Dozier. Hunter Dozier is playing right field and first base. Well, if you take Santana out of the equation and Dozier's playing first base, 
you still have a little bit of a long jam because when you talk about Michael Taylor probably playing center field, then you got nowhere for Isbell, or you put Isbell in right field, but that cuts down on the places you can put MJ Melendez when he's not catching and Salvi's catching. Um, and that also means, you know, I mean, Whit Merrifield could play some right field because you know, say, okay, well, he's playing second base. Well, Nicky's going to play second when Bobby's playing short. I and mean, Bobby might play more short if Emmanuel Rivera keeps swinging it the way that he has been lately. Now, his batting average, I think, has gone down a little bit. He's, hit, he's still hitting home runs. But if he's playing third base, Nicky's playing, I mean, uh, Bobby's playing short, Nicky's playing second, you're not pulling Whit out of the lineup. So Whit might play some right field. So again, there's going to be a log jam when you get guys back. And then you're going to say, well, are they going to bring Vinny up and have him not play? No, they're not going to do that. So that's why I say it's not necessarily Santana that's going to be the reason that he doesn't come up or because he's not playing every day um, or they don't feel like it's time to bring him up and have him get basically the at-bats that Hearn is getting right now um, as opposed to getting every day at-bats at AAA. All right, let's leave it here for a moment. We're going to uh, take a break. And when we come back, want to talk a little bit more about MJ Melendez. March 4th, 2015, I got out of the shower and felt a lump in my left breast. We were able to quickly uncover that she had two subtypes of breast cancer, each of them requiring separate and unique treatment plans. This is why you come to the University of Kansas Cancer Center. It is critical to be treated by a team of experts in that specific cancer type. If you don't start with us, I think you'll have more questions than answers. Why would you go anywhere else? Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all of the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the E-Edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says start a subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. We're back on Sportsbeat KC, talking Royals with Lynn Worthy, Sam McDowell, and Vahe Gregorian. Um, Want to hear from you? Send us your questions and comments like Matt did. He missed Saturday's game. Wanted to know how MJ looked in right field. Lynn, you touched on it. They're, they are absolutely – the Royals are going to find ways for uh, MJ Melendez to get at-bats in the major league. That's uh, that's part of what the second half of the season is going to be about. Yeah, yeah, right field, DH, catching when Salvi's not catching. Um, we haven't heard a whole lot of third base mentioned because obviously Rivera and Bobby have played a lot of there. But at the end of last season, that was one of the spots they had him working at. And in spring training, he was doing extra work there early in the days. But that hasn't really come up in recent weeks. So it's been mostly right field, DH catching. Um, that that one game that he played out there, I think there was really about two balls that were they had to make plays on. One of them was a little shaky a ball on the track or actually up against the wall where it looked like he had a little bit of a, you know, um, little – trouble trying to find the wall but keep track of the ball and might have had a play to make on it and he said so himself after the game but um it's also a guy playing his first major league game in the outfield in the ballpark it's not his home ballpark 
Um, and then the other one, he actually played the ball, the carom pretty well off of a right field. We've got an overhang and, um, you know, a high wall and got it back in and held, you know, didn't let the run score and held the, um, the runner to a single as opposed to letting it advance. So um, I guess overall par for the course. But um, I know he's been doing early work. I remember in Texas seeing him out there for game out there with Damon Hollins doing some work. So it's been something that they've been preparing for. And Rusty went down to AAA to have him do some work uh, early in this season as well. Just a short sidebar. Um, I really, yesterday's game, I don't know, Sam Vahe, how much of that you got to see. Um, Royals made a, a really had a nice comeback going in the eighth inning. They were down three to one, got RBI doubles from with Merrifield and Andrew Benintendi. And uh, what runners at first and second, nobody out. Looked like they were poised for a big inning. They have, Cleveland brought in a reliever who could not find the strike zone at all. Um, ended up walking a couple of guys, uh, MJ Melendez uh, intentionally. and But Salvador Perez grounds into a double play on a ball that was outside the strike zone. And Carlos Santana popped up to end the inning. And, uh, you know, and then moments later, I had I had to leave the room for a second, but I saw Lynn's tweet, three-run homer, put Cleveland head six to three, went on to win at seven three. So just another, just a wildly frustrating inning and, and day for the, you know, for the Royals. And with that loss, they did drop into last place in the American League, their worst record in the American League and matching the Cincinnati Reds with the worst record for the worst record in baseball. Lynn, Lynn, you touched on this earlier. Royals in April uh, hit 209 as a team, 593 OPS. In the month of May, which uh, they've got one more day to add on to these totals, they're hitting 256 with a 711 OPS. Pitching has gone just the opposite. Uh, 434 ERA in April. It's a 550 ERA in May. And the news got worse this week with Zach Grinke's injury. How about giving us a little update on on that, Lynn? What's going on with Zach Grinke, and what are the Royals going to do to fill his role in the in the rotation? Uh, as of right now, it's he's a 15 day DL stint with um, what they're calling a right flexor strain. Um, he talked about after his last start on Sunday, just feeling tightness, soreness in that um, right forearm elbow area. It's something he has dealt with before. Uh, I mean, the guy's been around, you know, 19 seasons in the big leagues. He's, he's dealt with some of everything. But um, most recently, I think it was the end of 2020. It was actually going into the playoffs. He had that. He missed a start, but then was still able to pitch. And it was playoff time. I think he even said, you know, it's playoff time. It's one of those things where either you can pitch or you can't. And if you can, you just sort of got, got through it. This time around, they're going to put him on the, the IL and they'll have 15 days. Um, for the time being, they're just going with extra bullpen help, and they've got they can sort of kick the can down the road a little bit and have to make a decision. They have an off day this week, so really they could keep guys on rest for like a whole another turn through, but it's looking more like come Saturday they may make a decision as far as what they want to do, um, and by that point they should have. Um, Jackson Kowar, Carlos Hernandez, Chris Bubich, all as options, at least as far as logistically they can be called up. They don't have to, they'll be clear with, with that um, 15 days that you have to be down before you can come back up. They all will be eligible as far as that. Um, then, yes, it'll be a matter of who's ready to pitch on that day. I think uh, Hernandez actually pitched the last day that 
um, Granky did. You know, Blair, one one point on the, the MJ Melendez thing to add to it, because um, I, I feel like these topics slide together. MJ Melendez was not deemed ready to come up to the big leagues either. And he was forced to come up because of the injury to Cam Gallagher. Then he was forced to play more regularly because of the injury to Salvador Perez. And MJ Melendez has taken a lot of really good at-bats. Like, he looks like he belongs in the major leagues. Um, and to Lynn's point, they're not ready to send him back down when Cam Gallagher comes back. And not every scenario plays out the same. I get that. But I do think the Royals can learn from what's happened right in front of their eyes over the first couple of months of the season here. Yeah, I think we're going to see three catchers on the roster when when um, Gallagher comes back. Hey, Vahe, uh, you, you, you've had a couple of opportunities um, to speak with uh, John Sherman and big, big uh, column in, in the Sunday paper about just what it is and maybe his background and his life experience that might provide a clue or two on how he's going to handle this situation with, with the Royals. Look, he's as disappointed, maybe he's more disappointed than anybody in, in what's going on this season. Nobody has more invested in, in the Royals. And not only does he have investment in this team, but he's looking down the road at a, you know, at a downtown ballpark as well. And the, the, the mood of the fan base right now is not what you want for, um, you know, for a project like that. But what, what, what did you learn recently about John Sherman and the way he might be approaching this season? Well, a couple of things, Blair. Uh, you know, the, the term that uh, stood out when I was speaking with John was uh, he, he said, I asked him if, if he, we should consider him a patient man because of some of the pattern of how he's done things over the course of time and uh, some of his business ventures having gone awry at the start and him figuring out a way to hang in the pocket and kind of tweak things and not panicking being one of his, um, one of his, you know, mantras. And he, he kind of laughed and said, patience is a relative term. Um, and I thought that was interesting. I think right now what we're seeing is a, an owner who is patient, who does see himself as um, one who, wants good people around him and trusts those good people to do the work. I don't think uh, he's a meddler. Uh, I think owners probably could be meddlers if they want. And probably it's not, not a, a term that even uh, <laughs> they should shrink from. It's their, their product. But I think, I think he's a proponent of that. And I think what that, what that has done though, is with some of the changes that have happened with Dayton Moore being made president and JJ becoming general manager, I do think that there's a reflection of a kind of consciousness of how John Sherman thinks. I don't know what sort of messages John Sherman sends directly about what he sees on the field. I do know that as soon as he gets on the phone with you, he's talking about last night's game. Um, and as it happened, uh, the instance when I spoke with him last, it was after a, a pretty good game. But even then, he was he was making the point that we're, we're not happy with what this is. So... How that converts to action, I suppose, is the biggest thing. And it's 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 a little hard to speculate on what that will really mean. But I do think um, we've all written about it in some form or another. Sam McDowell, in fact, immediately that day, uh, lasering in on the idea that when they 
moved Terry Bradshaw out of that job 25 games into the season, um, it was a reflection of the change in, in leadership, the tweak in leadership that John Sherman instituted with J.J. Piccolo becoming the, the GM, J.J. driving that decision. And I look, I don't know that this means look out, there's more big changes coming soon. But I do think when you uh, replace a hitting coach, not even 40 games into the season, you're saying, okay, everybody else better buckle up. Let's, let, let's see what's going on here. And I, I think there's completely reasonable questions to be asked about, about the pitching, about where, where in the process this is not coming together. Yeah, look, uh, Matt has a couple of thoughts about uh, about the ballpark. I, I think I think Matt, we'll we'll get into it in a bigger way on a on a future show. Um, earliest that we could see a, a downtown ballpark um, before the lease runs out in in twenty thirty one is um, I, I think a, is on the table for um, you know for, for the Royals. But um, again, it's it's going to be a, a private public endeavor. And right now the, I don't think there's, there would be a ton of public support for uh, money going to the Royals for a downtown ballpark. I could be wrong. I don't know. We haven't surveyed it uh, this year. We did last year. Um, but uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a bad time to, to gauge any kind of, you know, any, anything Royals with the way that they're playing this year. But I, I promise you, we will do a, we'll do, we'll do a, a dedicated show and, and have, further discussion about the downtown ballpark um, coming up, especially if the Royals continue the way that they have been. And, um, and we're covering a lot of the same topics week after week. And that's just the, the nature of a, of a team that is really struggling right now. Was it 16 and 31 again, worst record in the American league. And they play again today, play the Indians again today and on, uh, uh, on Wednesday before coming home to open up a, a long homestand. So um, maybe things will get going. I don't know. They've, they've had two wins since the last time we talked. And that seems to be about the average for the Royals. Every time we have these shows, it seems like they, 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 they win a couple, lose you know twice as many. And we're talking about what, uh, what they need to do, to, what they need to do differently. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the time when we can change that cycle and begin discussing what they need to do to uh, to get to get into the race and to or to stay ahead in the race of uh, of, a, of a playoff position. So, all right, that's my uh, my, my filibuster to end this thing. Uh, wanted to thank Sam McDowell, Lynn Worthy, Vahe Gregorian, and all you guys for for uh, tuning in. And please remember to join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Maybe the rain will have stopped by then. No telling, but uh, and um, also I'd be remiss if I did not shout out to Monty Davis, our producer, who does such a terrific job with this. So, all right, guys, thanks a lot, and we'll see you a week from today. That'll do it for today. Thanks to Monty Davis for putting together the live stream and the podcast, and to our Sports Beat KC staff of Randy Mason, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. Tip of the ball cap to Lynn Worthy, Vahe Gregorian, and Sam McDowell for sharing their insights and to the University of Kansas Health System for their sponsorship today. Morning Sports Edition was 28 pages crammed full of stories about the Royals, the French Open, the NBA Finals, and more. Go to liveedition.kansascity.com for more information. Hey, thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Wednesday with another Sports Beat KC.